Hi, Journey. Before we get started, uh, we don't endorse doing any of those activities with blindfolds on. All right? Like, let's just be clear and don't blame us, please. Uh, it's November, and while that means no shaving for some, any no-shave November people in the room, come on. Yeah, there you are. Uh, if, I, if I try no-shave November, I get myself a new wife, so I, I can't do that, so I, I shave November. I do shave November, and while some of you are giving yourself to no shave November around journey, we always give our month of November to God's heart for those on the margins of society, the most vulnerable in society. Our series this year is called The Beginning of the End, and some stuff that a guy named Tim Keller wrote and talked about helped resource uh, this study, and I want to start out by just saying straight up front. That right now, as I look out on you, as I stand up here and I look out on you, this is me looking out on you who are the beginning of the end of injustice on planet Earth. As I stand right here and I look out upon you, you are the beginning of the end of injustice right here on planet Earth. It's you, and it's me, and it's all of us. We, together, are the beginning of the end of of injustice, it's us. And we don't get to outsource it to anybody else, it's us. And I know that to be true because of this text from the Psalms 146, starting in verse one. The psalmist starts out by saying this, praise the Lord, let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people, there's no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. And so I read that and I look out on you, and I know that I'm looking out over and on the beginning of the end of injustice because it's who God is. God is the God of justice, and if he, Yahweh, is our God and the God of justice, and we are his people, if we are his church, then that means us, all of us, are the beginning of the end of injustice. We're it. We're it. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, there's a book called Micah. And in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the question is raised. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 is really the summary of everything that it means for us to be the people of God. This incredibly famous passage that asks this question What does the Lord require of you who call yourselves Christians? 
What is it that God requires of those who say they follow him? And it's this really cool deal because we don't have to wonder what the answer to the question is. He tells us, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You go do justice. You go love kindness. You walk humbly with your God. You could actually put that verse together this way and say it like this. Walking humbly with God looks like you doing justice and loving kindness. And the loving kindness is the motivation. It's the fuel for our doing justice. It's not two different things. Doing justice is what we do. Loving kindness is the motivation for what we do, which is justice. You and I are the beginning of the end of injustice and the beginning of the end of injustice comes about by us going and doing justice and God intends for us to live justly. The word justice in the Bible is this Hebrew word mishpat, fun little word to say, mishpat, sorry. And translators translate the word several different ways into English. Sometimes they translate the word mishpat to mean uphold the cause or to say uphold the cause. Sometimes they translate it to say righteous. Sometimes it's translated justice. And it kind of doesn't matter how it's all translated. The big idea is that the Hebrew word mishpat shows up some 200 times in the Bible. 200 times that word turns up in the sacred text. What's that tell us? That God cares a lot about mishpat that God cares a lot about justice. Look at Psalm 146, verse seven. Here's the word mishpat, it shows up. He gives justice, this is speaking of God, that's he. He gives justice, he gives mishpat to the oppressed. That's what God does. God does justice. And there, and some 200 more times, that word shows up. And doing justice means that you and I, here's what it is, it means you and I give people their do. When we go do justice, we're giving people their due. And one way that you give people their due is a bad way of giving people their due. It's a two-way street. Giving people their due, you know this, is a two-way street. One way it can go is bad, which means that us, being people who are the beginning of the end of injustice, for us giving people their due in a bad kind of way means that when, watch this, someone is doing something wrong, what do you do? You stop them. When somebody's doing something wrong, doing justice, giving someone, giving people their due, when they're doing something wrong, what are they due? They're due being stopped, aren't they? And us being people of justice and doing justice means we go stop them. I did a a most bizarre, out-of-character thing for me uh, that I could possibly imagine about six weeks or so ago. I was traveling through the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport and I was in the Delta Sky Club. It's a perk of this credit card I have. You get to go in there and there's free Wi-Fi and there's food and you know, it's kind of a off the beaten path place where you could possibly get some work done in an airport. And so there I was working away and the place is loud. It was a peak travel time. It's a full, crowded, busy. There's like a din in this. It's not that big of a club and all this noise, all these people. But you know when you're in a setting that's loud and then all of a sudden you start to hear one thing rise above the din of the room, right? That ever happened to you? And so there I am, I'm sitting at this little work desk, I'm working on email or something, and I start to hear this one voice hollering 
in the Sky Club and I start to hear everybody else's voice in the room start to die down and I turn around and I see this man who's berating a Sky Club employee because for all reasons, they're out of soup in the Sky Club. The soup pot had run out. And this man was very angry and he was letting this poor customer service agent, by the way, it wasn't a person who even handled the soup. It was a person who handled like travel arrangements if you need help with your travel arrangements. And he's just letting this woman have it and she's, she's sitting behind the desk kind of like this and he's hollering and hollering and, and everyone's going quiet and all eyes are turning and they're listening to this guy. And he said, I was here yesterday and there was no soup and now I'm here today and there is no soup. I wanna talk to the person who's in charge of the soup and he's yelling and getting louder and I'm like, oh, Oh my gosh. And this lady's like, sir, it's not, it's not, I'm not the soup person. I want to talk to the soup person. So she dials a number on a phone and hands him the receiver. And he's yelling at this person on the other end of the line. And, and here's, here's my frame of reference at the time. I was traveling either back and forth from Washington, D.C. to here to work on getting these, trying to get these 1,400 kids out of the Congo who've been adopted and can't leave, right? the Democratic Republic of Congo, where six out of seven kids die before the age of five years old, most of them from malnutrition, right? And so here I am in a Delta Sky Club where there's more free food than you can possibly imagine, and here's a guy yelling because the soup pot has run out, and like my holy discontent level was raised <laughs> way up here, and so I, I turned around, and I got up out of my chair, and I make a beeline to this man who's now yelling in this telephone, and all the way I'm going, what are you doing, Brian? What are you doing? What are you, you doing? And I get really close to this guy, and I realize I'm looking a ways up at him. You know, like a David and Goliath kind of a thing. And he's yelling in the phone, and he looks at me, and I said, I said sir, could, could you just stop? Like, would you just stop? I'm really sorry that there's no soup. And, and his, he's looking at me, and could you just stop? This lady's really sorry. I'm sure the guy on the other end of that line who you're screaming at about there being no soup, I'm sure these nice people who work here who take care of you, but like look at all the food there is. Go have a celery stick. <laughs> and he's just looking at me. And, and I'm not being mean here, but this guy looked like he could skip a few bowls of soup, right? And... and <laughs> I'm not being mean, I'm just saying we all could skip a few bowls of soup. He wasn't going to die because he didn't have soup. Like, just, sir, let it, will you just let it go, please? And as I'm saying that, he's setting the phone down, and I'm backing away slowly. <laughs> and I go sit down, and he goes his way. Really? Really? In some cases, giving people their due is very, very minor. That was quite minor. There wasn't anything major about what I did there. But stop it. Stop the injustice. It's not this woman's fault. People run out of things. Just let it go. Sometimes, though, giving people their due is major. Sometimes you might have to actually physically stop someone from doing something. You might actually have to capture somebody. You might actually have to punish somebody. But us, see, being the beginning of the end of injustice means that people cannot be allowed to just go on and on and on doing bad things, never being punished. They can't. And then in the same way, giving people their due by doing justice, it has this fantastic upside 
this tremendous upside. You and I being the beginning of the end by doing justice means that we give people like orphans and widows and the oppressed and the weak and the vulnerable, we give them their due. Proverbs 31.9 talks about what that looks like. It looks like speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. See that they get mishpat. Make sure of it. And you and I are meant by God to do just that. We're the beginning of the end of injustice by doing justice and by giving the vulnerable their due. In the book of Job, chapter 29, Job talks about just a little bit of what it looks like to do justice, to give the vulnerable their due. Look at what Job says. I assisted, this is him talking about himself. He's actually talking to God in this long extended conversation, right? Job's suffering. He believes he's suffering quite unjustly. There's all these terrible things that are happening to him, stuff none of which he thinks he deserves. And so he says, God, look at all the stuff I'm doing to do justice. I assisted the poor in their need, the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope and they blessed me. And I caused the widow's hearts to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe and I wore justice like a turban. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of godless oppressors and plucked their victims from their teeth. Job lived a life of justice. Every single day, every single thing he did was about justice. That's what it looks like for us as well. It means things like you and I caring for and looking after the poor, the fatherless, the widow, the immigrant. Remember, doing justice, it has this two parts. It's like a two-sided coin. It isn't just stopping wrongdoers from throwing fits about Sky Club soup and so. It's also about lifting up and caring for the weak and the vulnerable and the oppressed. And understand this, it's just as unjust to ignore the vulnerable as it is to cause the vulnerable harm. Do you catch that? But how often do we, how often are we guilty of doing just that? Ignoring the vulnerable. And the scripture talks quite at length about how any time you ignore the needs of a widow or an orphan or an alien or a poor, it isn't just that you're not taking care of them. It's that you don't even notice them. In the Bible, God is really, really clear. He says that's a lack of justice. Don't just ignore the vulnerable. So you see, the beginning of the end of injustice comes through you and me. The people of God, the God who is the God of justice, us, each one of us doing justice, feeding the hungry, releasing the unjustly imprisoned, the enslaved and trafficked people, which we're gonna talk about in a couple of weeks from now. It means working with the sick and the blind, loving and helping the burdened. The burdened, by the way, are those who need counsel and emotional support. It means guarding over the refugee, guarding over the new immigrant, the person who's here, who's not from around here, from being exploited or hurt. You watch over them, God says. It looks like you relieving and strengthening single parent families, widows, 
orphans and the like. That's doing justice. You and I are the beginning of the end of injustice here on planet earth. Anytime we go do justice. Now, have you noticed something? It's that time of the year, isn't it? It's election time, right? Have you noticed? Yeah, maybe a sign or two or an advertisement or two, right? And all of this talk about you and I being the beginning of the end of injustice and all this talk about us doing justice, you know what it all sounds like? It all sounds like modern-day political liberalism, doesn't it? Right? God telling us to go care about the poor. God telling us to go share what we have with the oppressed. That sounds just like modern-day liberalism, doesn't it? And then you turn to other parts of the Bible and you read about God's thoughts, about things like gender, marriage, family, sex, and so. And what's that sound like? Well, that sounds an awful lot like modern-day political conservatism. Doesn't it? And some of you right now are sitting quite on the edge of your seat going like, why in the world, Brian, are you taking us down? I hope this is going somewhere constructive. And here's where it's going. Quite instructive, actually. Any time that any of us come to the Bible, the scripture, God's word, here's what we're forced to do. We must shake our minds free from modern day political categories like liberal, like conservative, etc., etc. Because understand, the God of the Bible does not come anywhere near to fitting into those kinds of political categories. He just doesn't. At a college professor, he wrote this book one time called Was Jesus a Democrat or a Republican? Whoa. And the answer is neither. Because God and Jesus and the Bible do not fit into political categories and we shouldn't ever try to bring our political persuasions into the reading, into the study of God's word. Instead, God is quite clear. When you approach the sacred text, our task is to be open to what God says about how we should be living how we should be living. Now, I'm gonna segue here, and I'm gonna challenge every single one of you who are of voting age to make sure you vote on Tuesday. Like you go and you make sure that you vote. If you need help registering to vote, there's stuff out at the info center, people who'd gladly show you how to do that. Tuesday is election day, and we should all go vote. We're the people of God. We are the people of God. And we are the beginning of the end of injustice. And that comes about by our doing justice. And we do justice because that's who God is at his very core. And our role as followers of Jesus Christ is to reflect the nature and character of God. God does justice and so should we. I want to show you something from Psalm 146 verses 3 to 6. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. That's our God. And what God's doing there is he's introducing himself. He's painting a picture for us of who he is. It's a resume of God's, if you will. 
who he is, the things he is about. He's the God of all power. He's the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in the sea. That's a lot of power, by the way. And he says, I love to use my power on behalf of the weakest and most vulnerable members of society. That's how God loves to use his power. And God does this very sort of thing all over the pages of scripture. He's always introducing himself by saying something like, who is God? And he says, who am I? I'm the father of the fatherless. I'm the defender of the weak and the widows. It's a bit like God's calling card, if you will. It's who he is. It's what he does. He's always saying, I'm God. I'm the God who cares for the poor, defends the defenseless, cares for the alien, loves, serves, and protects widows and orphans. That's what I do. That's who I am. And God does that very, very intentionally. And it's because in the ancient world, all the little g, small g, pretend gods of antiquity, they were always exercising their power, especially on behalf of those who were at the pinnacle of the totem pole of society. Just one example. There's a time in the book of 2 Kings when this guy, this pagan guy, heard that God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, was able to heal his leprosy. He had leprosy, which is this terrible, debilitating disease where body parts actually can like fall off of you. It's tragic. And so he goes, this sick guy with leprosy goes to the king of Israel. And this sick guy has all kinds of money and he comes to the king of Israel and he said, I've heard your God can heal lepers. I have leprosy. Here's a big pile, like a wheelbarrow load of money. Will you give me the healing? And the king of Israel, he doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh my gosh. And so he does what anybody who doesn't know what to do does. He tore his clothes right off of himself. He really did. Like, what else do you do in that moment? Right? He tears his clothes off of himself and he says, I am so sorry, but God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, does not work like that. I'm just a king. I'm not a healer. And you can't pay me to broker the healing of God. It doesn't work like that. Understand this. God does a whole bunch of stuff in this world. He doesn't just care for those on the margins of society, but also understand that caring for those most vulnerable in society is so incredibly close to the heart of God, it's just who he is. God wants himself to be known for that. And in just the same way, God anticipates us, the church of Jesus Christ, his bride being known for caring for the poor. I know we have a whole bunch of things as the big C church in the world that we're supposed to be known for. I talked at length last weekend about what? About us being known for sharing Jesus with those in our lives, right? We're also supposed to be known for loving each other, serving people, but we should be famous, God says, for the way that we care for those most vulnerable. Because when we give care to those on the margins of society, when we love them well, we reflect the character of God to the world in a way that they won't otherwise see. It's us. I want to talk with you about one more thing. And it's about how you and I actually become the beginning of the end of injustice. Because you can't just wake up one day and go, okay, I'm gonna do more justice. I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm just gonna go work harder. I'm gonna get on the Jesus-pleasing treadmill and run a little bit faster, add one more thing to the big old to-do list that I already have going on. It's not like that. It isn't like that at all. And I don't want you to hear that. Please don't go out these doors and go like, oh, geez, got another thing to do. Do justice, do justice, do justice. Like that, no. 
I mean, I want us to do justice, but I want us to come into it a bit differently. We become the beginning of the end of injustice. Check this out. This is quite surprising. By praising the God of justice. You catch that? We become the beginning of the end of injustice on this planet by praising the God of justice, worshiping the God of justice. And I'm not just talking about 25 minutes with abandoned words on screens and all that stuff, okay? You read Psalm 146, and it isn't any kind of treatise or essay or reflection on all the ways that God is the God of justice. That's not what it is. It's a, it's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of adoration. It's a psalm of worship to God. Look how it starts. Praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord so lo as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. It isn't just about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and going to work and going to work and going to work, striving, striving, striving to please God and please God and please God. That's not what I'm talking about. There's something so much deeper that God wants to, so much bigger that God longs to unfold in us, in particular about the area of bringing justice. Something has to shift deep at the level of our soul, deep at the level of our heart. We can't just drill, do justice, do justice, do justice into our heads and then have it magically happen. God has to do something. And him doing something in our hearts comes through the vehicle, comes through the avenue of our worship and praise of him. Because worship changes the things that our hearts are magnetized toward. Worship helps shape who we are being and who we are becoming, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So your heart changes and then everything else, actions especially, follows suit. This isn't just about believing. We can go, oh yeah, God's a God of justice. That's great, but that doesn't change anything. Sheer belief won't move anybody anywhere. It's about you and I adoring him. It's about the affections of our heart shifting more and more and more toward the affections of God's heart. Praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Look at who God is. I'm going to tell you one more thing. When Jesus Christ first inaugurated his public ministry, when he preached his very first sermon, it was an incredibly significant moment that he chose to preach from Isaiah chapter 61. If you've ever read Isaiah chapter 61, you know the crux is that it's the pronouncement of the Savior of the world who is on his way. It's the narrative of the kinds of things that the Messiah is going to say. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. This is Jesus Christ's very first sermon. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And you realize he's talking about himself, right? He's like, this is, this is me. He, that's God, has sent me, that's Jesus, to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released, prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. That's Isaiah chapter 61, and it sounds an awful lot like Psalm 146, doesn't it? And did you notice something at the end of Isaiah chapter 61? It says that the Messiah, the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Did you catch that? 
That's the two sides of the justice coin we talked about. Perpetrators getting their due, the oppressed getting their due as well. Now I want to show you something else. That was Isaiah chapter 61, right from Isaiah chapter 61. But I want to show you the account, the actual account of what Jesus spoke in his first sermon. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. When he, that's Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Here we go. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come, period. You see what Jesus did there? He got to the place in the text where it says the time of the Lord's favor and he, he stops. He neglects to read the very last part of the verse, which was the little part, do you remember? The little part about God's anger against his enemies. Jesus says, I've come to be, to inaugurate the beginning of the end of injustice. It's me, he says. And then he stops and he leaves out the part that says, I'm here to bring the vengeance of our God. He leaves that out. Why in the world would he leave that out? Why did he read through all the justice bringing parts of the Isaiah 61 text, only bringing out the good news for the oppressed? And so why did he leave out the bad news? Was it because he was scared to offend people? He was afraid everybody would get up and flee for the doors if he told them? No, Jesus was never afraid of offending anybody. Here's why he stopped. You ready? He stopped because what's true is that Jesus did not come to bring the anger of God. Do you catch that? Jesus did not come to bring the anger of God. Catch this. He came to take instead the full brunt of God's anger. Jesus didn't come to bring judgment. He came rather to take the full judgment of God. And so he leaves that part out because I'm taking it, he said. It's me, I'm paying the price, I'm paying your due. The savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to inaugurate the beginning of the end of injustice and to take our punishment, the wicked, the punishment on behalf of the wicked, that's us, by the way, And Jesus hung on the cross, and Jesus stood in for us on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve. God's judgment came down on him, and because of that, we can be accepted by God. Because of that, Jesus stands with us forever. Even when we fail in the biggest way we think we can possibly fail, Jesus stands with us. And then, church, he sends us out. And he says, you go be the beginning of the end of injustice right here on planet Earth. You go be the beginning of the end of injustice. And you can do that because you've been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. They're gone, taken away. It's us, church. You go be the beginning of the end of injustice. And you worship your way into a heart 
change that takes you there. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and move into a posture of prayer and listening to God if you would. God saying to you today about you being the beginning of the end of injustice? How is it that God's getting your attention around that challenge? is it that you're going to go do about that? How is it that through worship God wants to transform you not from the outside in but from the inside out? where he's magnetizing your heart to the things of his heart. Where things that you used to care so much about, used to live for, and so on, where those just don't hold any pull to you anymore. Because your heart is magnetized to the things of God, to the things that God cares about, and we see again and again and again one of the things God cares so much about is the poor and the oppressed and the vulnerable. And what are you going to do about that? And maybe for some of you today is in part about you believing on Jesus Christ as your Savior once and for all. You believing on Jesus Christ, the one who took your judgment, who stood in your place, hung in your place on the cross so that you could live with him forever. And if that's you today, you can take the step of crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ by praying with me. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Guilty as charged. And I can't overcome this sin problem I've got, Jesus. And I need you to be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for hanging on the cross in my place, for going to the tomb for me, for rising from the dead on the third day so that I too may rise with you. I yield my heart and life to you, Jesus, my boss, my savior, my redeemer, and my friend. And if you're someone here today 
who's crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ. That's the biggest decision of your whole life. It matters so much that around here we acknowledge together when somebody makes that decision. This is a private moment, just you, me, and God looking on. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you prayed with me just then, would you be so bold as to just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me? You can do that right now. Just let me stand with you in your decision to trust Christ today. You can do that right now. Yeah. Way to go, bud. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. You too. And you too. Way to go, man. And you. Yeah, I see you back there. Yeah. Way to go, man. Good job. There. Yeah. Jesus, first and foremost, we say thank you so much for standing in for us on the cross, for taking what we deserved for us. Thank you so much for these who are crossing the line of faith in you today, who are coming home to you. Jesus, I pray for us, every single one of us, that we would be the beginning of the end of injustice. Day in, day out, as we're going, that we wouldn't ignore or overlook or look past the vulnerable who are all around us every day. But that we would do what you did for us, Jesus, and that is go out of our way for the sake of another. Help us do justice and that the world would see you in those acts and they would look to you and they would be amazed, God, at who you are. We love you, Jesus.